DJ Pembona is taking the New York music scene by storm. His sets are known for their infectious Afro-diasporic tracks. Puerto Rico libre! Puerto Rico libre! of her work, she's an activist, and that's something that I admire the most about her. She uses her sounds to empower by bridging the gap between communities of color, activism, and generations. Her sets offer a space for healing, movement, joy, and liberation for black and brown communities. When I think about music, I think about rhythm and sounds. For me, music is intuitive. I may not even understand the language, yet I will dance to it if I like the rhythm. And if you ask me about different genres, I'm clueless. I have no idea what song belongs to what category. So I am really excited to talk to DJ Bambona today and unravel things that I don't know about. By the way, when she is not DJ Bambona, she is Siomara, a Brooklyn native who continues to advocate for marginalized communities through her daily work. Let's welcome her. So when it comes to intuition while DJing, for me personally, I, I take it as like a spiritual calling or like what is spirit saying to me right now? Because sometimes I do feel like a vessel Especially I've had several moments that I can count that are very, very special that I'm like, like I was being driven to do this or to play this next. Bimbun, I'm so glad that you are on my show today and you're the first DJ to come on my show. Oh, am I? Yes. So let's start with Brooklyn. You are a Brooklyn native. You were born there and you grew up there. How much has Brooklyn changed since you were a kid? Oh, my God. Where do I even begin? First of all, thank you so much, Saida, for having me. Immigrantly podcast. Um, this is an honor and so thankful. So I just want to give you props for doing this work and it's important and big ups to all the DJs all around the world that are doing this and, and doing the work as well. Brooklyn, whew. I mean, I'm born and raised here. So I've lived between, I don't know if you're familiar with Brooklyn neighborhoods. Are you from Brooklyn as well or no? No, no. I live in Westchester County, which is pretty far. Oh, yes. Westchester. Okay. Yeah, but I've been to Brooklyn quite a few times. My kids, once they grow up, they want to live in Brooklyn. So. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, it's getting so expensive now, but definitely. So the area that I that I mainly grew up in was Fort Greene and I went to school from elementary through middle school in Park Slope. 
So Fort Greene is basically nearby downtown Brooklyn area. It's very, it used to be more residential, more family, more artsy in terms of the communities that lived here. Um, it's still pretty diverse, but now, of course, it has whitened because of gentrification. And I literally live a few blocks from the Barclays Center. So it's been a very interesting 10 plus years seeing how dynamics have changed, you know, high rises, <laughs> prices. When you talk about dynamics changing, Bambuna, um I'm sure you're talking about gentrification of Brooklyn, right? There, Some people look at the pros, others look at the cons. As an artist and a Brooklyn native, I want to get your perspective on how do you approach how Brooklyn has gentrified? Definitely, I'm not for gentrification at all. The thing with gentrification, it, it ties, for me personally, it ties so much with imperialism and the colonization, but in modern terms, right? So you're pushing people that have been here for centuries or decades that probably don't have the means in terms of they don't sit in a class, in, in the structure of class, they don't sit on the level to be able to, to own, to be able to run, run a block per se, right? So there's no real power there when it comes to real estate when it comes to residential areas and there's no connection with um with the vultures that come in there's no connection between the people that come in and the people that have been here so there's no there's no bridging of that gap there's kind of a like disorder of like we want the space we want it to be how we want it to be we're not listening to the communities that have already thrived here for a minute how do we form a relationship with each other how do we support one another and most likely people with more financial status and more class status how do we help communities of color communities that are poor right um that doesn't happen in gentrification it's it and it's really sickening you know so that's where i stand with that um living in it has been interesting because i actually live in new york city property so i live in housing so it's still i don't there's no ownership there's definitely the building is full of people of color, black African-American communities, Latinx communities, and still seeing our surroundings totally change and not really see anything better for us personally. Uh, it's been crazy. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to, um, to dismantle and to talk about because there's so many layers. It's really complex. So, Bimbuna, you are not just an artist. You're an activist as well. And activism is a huge part of what you're doing. Can you speak more about how you are incorporating your activism into your sets to raise concerns about things like gentrification? Oh, definitely. It comes hand in hand for me. Like, I mean, obviously, if you're living as a marginalized person in some way and your art doesn't speak to that reality, then what are you really doing? And who are you supporting or or what, what changes are you trying to make in the world or in your society or in your communities? For me, it was a process, definitely, and it's still a journey that's never ending. Um, but I do feel that they are never separate for me because I'm in that body. I'm a black woman <laughs> and I'm a Latina. 
And being black in the Linux culture is also like a whole other podcast that we can talk about. But (laughs) I think that it's so important to musically raise awareness of social issues, about what people are really going through. And how that translates through music is through rhythm, right? Like for me, everything that, that music is, is blackness, you know? It comes, it derives from blackness. And I think that these rhythms, these, whether it be artistically, these artists that use lyrics to portray, whether that be rhythmically, um, they, they all mean one thing, that blackness is the root to everything. Um, and I think that's important to show, to showcase others. And healing is also a very important part of the work that I do because movement is powerful. You can't have dance without music and music most likely does, doesn't come without dance. It comes hand in hand and movement of the body is really healing. It's remembering, it's linking back to your ancestry. It's discovering yourself. It's so many things. And I think it's powerful to be able to bring joy to others when the world is telling you that you shouldn't be joyful, that you shouldn't be happy, that you can't succeed, that you can't make it. So it's a lot of complexities that come with being a DJ on the dance floor, but also having a purpose with it all. So as you mentioned, through your art, you also are trying to connect to your ancestors, right? So what have you learned about yourself in your artistic journey when it comes to your heritage, your background? How have you connected with those things? Wow, that's a great question. Because definitely, I must say, it has put me more in tune with myself, my spirit. It's definitely helped me. It it guided me in my spiritual journey and my growth internally, as well as when it comes to my roots. I'm, I'm Puerto Rican and Panamanian, ethnically. And I've learned so much more about my, my two sides, right? As people say, two of my cultural sides through music. Even though I grew up in it, I've, I've, I, I was born into all of this. I was born into salsa. I was born into dance hall. I was born into these things. I grew into reggaeton. I grew into like hip hop. But to be able to take an individual journey and look back and rediscover and learn more about my culture in a musical sense has been super beautiful to me. I've learned so much more. I've been able to travel, you know, and even with that, it's like I, I've gotten to connect back with with my island of Puerto Rico. I haven't yet with Panama, but in terms of Puerto Rico, I've been there. I've been able to say that it does feel home because I've finally have stepped foot in there and because of DJing and it's been beautiful. So I think it's brought me almost full circle, I must say, in a way. And I think it's still going to be a cycle that goes in a circular motion as my career, as the journey continues. And I get to unravel new layers of like what my background is. And ancestrally, it's, it's connecting with my ancestors musically. When I feel the music, when I, when I hear the drums, it's like something that you cannot deny. You feel it. I love to dance. I love to move. And I feel when spirit enters me, I feel it when I'm playing. And that that moment, like some artists would probably call it like Nirvana in some way. It's that moment when everything aligns and you feel it going through your body. It's a crazy feeling. And whoever has felt that will know exactly what I'm talking about. For those who haven't, I hope you do one day. 
And these moments are everything. It, it just reaffirms your purpose and reaffirms that you are going the right track and that you are learning more about yourself. And it's beautiful. So let's talk about your teaching because you've been spinning for a few years now, right? Do you think that DJs need to have a certain level of, say, intuition when they are playing for an audience? And how do you know how to respond to the energy um, of your audiences? So when it comes to intuition while DJing, for me personally, I, I take it as like a spiritual calling or like what is spirit saying to me right now? Because sometimes I do feel like a vessel especially I've had several moments that I can count that are very, very special that I'm like, like I was being driven to do this or to play this next. Because most of the time, depending on the event, I'm not really like fully prepared or like I don't, I don't set up like a set or like have something in mind. Only if there's like a specific genre of an event or a specific theme that I want to make sure that I say something I do plan them out but in those cases that I don't it's basically feeling through of what do I want to not only have the audience feel but also what do I want to teach the audience tonight what do I want to teach my people tonight and I think that's also another important part of DJing it's that it's not only that we're serving our communities and the audience but we're also teaching them a lot and readjusting their their minds, right? It's kind of like you, you want them to re- to discover new sounds. You want them to be able to be open-minded, right? And that's even the harder work. Any DJ can s- stand up and play top 40. <laughs> you can play anything that people want to hear. You could take requests. But at the end of the day, I think it's beautiful when you can push through these hard structures of like, oh, my God maybe they're not dancing right now or they seem a bit confused but it's like taking back that reign of because you hold power in that moment right so it's kind of like all right where can I take them next they they'll understand they'll get it um and luckily I I I have my audience is pretty pretty damn dope they're amazing people (laughs) so Bambuna when I hear you talk about teaching I can feel it and I know that it's more to do with physical space right sharing that physical space that energy but now that we are in quarantine has it made you reimagine the ways in which you're connecting with your listeners and how do you stay inspired right now oh yeah such a beautiful question because it's getting me kind of emotional because oh my god what hasn't quarantine taught me like what has it quarantined taught me during this time (laughs) I can't even talk uh but I feel that I've always loved to connect with my audience my familia you know mi familia mi gente as I call them (laughs) is like those are mi gente the people that support me that tune in that have like discovered me now during this quarantine time or have been supporting me since day one um, but it's been a new level of intimacy than, that you can't get in the club, right? You can't get in a space where you're up somewhere on a stage or you're in a booth closed up, which is also for measures. It's also safety, right? It's also for other things where you don't have to be bothered every minute if somebody's coming up to you or trying to approach you. But when it comes to playing at home, I've gotten to have conversations with people. You know, I'm very talkative. I'm very 
in tune with with the people, I guess you could say. <laughs> so I love I love dancing with them. I love talking with them. I love lifting them up. And I think you you can't you can get that in real life in IRL as people would say, but during quarantine time when you have somebody face to face on on the phone during an Instagram live, I would add somebody, see who wants to be added and have a conversation with them read their comments and really get to like see how they're doing and see how they feel it's totally different you know it's totally different than in real life because in real life there's just a crowd and maybe the friends that you already know the people that you know that that pull up you get to have a conversation with but other people that you don't get to connect with you probably won't and i i must say i'm thankful for social media in this time because of that even though it has a lot of ugly sides to it as well but i'm blessed i feel blessed definitely i must say that there's been times where i i'm on a high i'm spinning i've spun a lot of live streams so far and it's been beautiful every every single one has been unique i've been feeling different types of ways for all of them <laughs> but being here in my living room, I would never imagine like to be able to still have that feel that same high energy and be present at the same time, even though I'm home. So I mentioned your activism in the beginning, and I want to come back to that. You've been very vocal about how you're using your platform to create spaces and opportunities for women of color, LGBTQ+, women, gender non-conforming people which is amazing. Not many people do that. And being a woman of color yourself, how has it been like to navigate the DJ world? And I'm assuming, no hate comments, please. I am just making this assumption <laughs> that it's probably dominated by white males. Um, so, <laughs> Say it. <laughs> so is the scene changing, Bambona? You're, you're, you're on the dot. You're on the nail with these. <laughs> um... Oh my God, I say yes and no. I feel like we're living through revolutionary times, always, right? But currently, this is in my lifetime, right? And me being, quote unquote, in, a, in some level of wokeness or awareness, I feel that there's, it's brewing, right? Right now, it's kind of like when you turn on the pot of water and you're waiting for it to boil, and now I feel like we're boiling, like we're, we're starting to simmer. <laughs> we're boiling right now. Um, and there's so many women, especially women of color and non-black women POC that are out there, non-gender conforming, LGBTQI+. I can go on and on about the communities of DJs and producers and artists that are just killing it right now. And I think it's it's so dope because there's been so much. The importance that I've been seeing is the inclusivity of it all, of all of the communities together. And I mean, obviously not white male, <laughs> but specifically for POC in all spectrums, right? We're building on on allowing us to take over space, to to be present, to have that power. I've seen all women lineups, all femme lineups, all LGBTQ plus I lineups, things that I haven't seen before. I mean, personally for me, because you know, I didn't grow up with the spectrum of knowledge <laughs> before. But now that I see these things happening in the underground, right? I'm like, oh my God, this has always happened, right? Underground has always been holding it down. 
But when does that transform into mainstream? Because if you think about it in the DJ world, white male DJs are still dominating, right? They're still earning lots of money. <laughs> um, they're always headlining. Even even during live, even during quarantine, I've been seeing they're still headlining festivals and big name brands. And I think it defeats the purpose that now brands have the responsibility. I mean, institutions, brands, festivals, etc., anything with a big name, um, platforms, media platforms as well they have the responsibility that we're in quarantine now to be able to look for other talent that doesn't look like a white male um that's still upsetting (laughs) um but i do see the opportunities happening and we're creating our own you know we're taking over shit our own way and we're defining it for ourselves individually and collectively and still being able to have a support system right because we're out here still fighting against the bigger picture right it's like to be able to be visible to be able to hold space to be able to headline to be able to have a tour um to be able to get paid and get paid well and be able to live off of this you know and still try to hold down community and still try to to make sure that we have a support system between women you know it's a lot (laughs) so i feel that it is happening um but there's still that other side that's it's clashing, you know, it's like both are, are clashing heads and we just got to keep it going. We have to like, we can't stop. So here's my take on why this is happening. You mentioned that most progress is happening underground and it's not as visible. So when I see it, I think it's something to do with colorism. And I was listening to one of your interviews where you've explicitly talked about that, right? We see it on TV. When when we look at Latinx representation, um, we see people like Salma Hayek. We see people like Eva Longoria, <laughs> right? Why do you think we haven't been able to break through that barrier? Coming from a country obsessed with lighter skin color, I always thought that this was, you know, the byproduct of colonialism, but unfortunately, I feel it probably predates that. What is your take on that? And how do we break through those barriers? So colonialism, white supremacy, like whiteness overall, like the importance and and the power that that has is still relevant today. And it does date back to then, right? It does date back to colonial times, quote unquote. We still live in them, but it's a different context. But I think it's the the unlearning and unlearning from all that we've, oh my God, all that's been loaded onto us forcefully, right? From back in our ancestry, no matter what culture, what country you're from, if it wasn't European, we've been fucked up for a yeah. <laughs> Excuse my language, but absolutely, we We have been, Um, we have been. So, (laughs) so I think that in relation to colorism, it definitely a hundred percent has to do with that. I mean, if across the board, even throughout, like let's say African American communities, Latinx communities, Asian, Middle Eastern communities, it's always had to do with you know being able to reach what is whiteness, right? Being able to have quote unquote a better life a better position a better role in society more power right all of that equates to whiteness and these are things that we've learned throughout generations 
and it's it's going to be a hard thing to break. That's why I think here, even speaking in 2020 with you through Zoom about colorism, it's still so prevalent because we're brainwashed. We we still haven't unlearned fully. And and how would that look like? How would unlearning look like in terms of Latinx community for me? Growing up, and I was growing up in the 90s, and that's still pretty recent. <laughs> there hasn't, there was nobody that looked like me on TV at all. You know, nobody that looked like me on TV. And if we talk about musically, I could just sit here and have a blank stare. Because when you think of mainstream, when you think of pop, this word, it has pop culture, it has so much dominance and so much. Um, how, what's the right word, um, it impact towards communities. So if you don't see yourself, what does that make you think? Like, it makes you think that you are inferior. It makes you think that you probably don't exist in other places. Um, and that's why pop and mainstream is important because it has the visibility. It has more visibility. It, that's where people are looking. And here growing up in New York, you know, Latinas, like you just mentioned, it yeah. was like the J-Lo's. We had the Mark Anthony's, the Ricky Martin's, and none of them were black, <laughs> you exactly. know? And it was concerning for me because I never felt that I fit the mold. I'm like, what is, what is wrong with this picture? Because my mom is light. She's on the whiter side. I wouldn't say whiter, but, you know, she's light Puerto Rican. My dad is a black or Panamanian. And... Our Latino, Latina, Latinx families come in all types of shades. So you cannot neglect the range that there is, but there's no visibility when it comes to Black Latinx. Now it's becoming a thing, right? Afro-Latinidad has been around for, I would say, a few decades now, the movement. Um, before, when I was younger, before I could even comprehend what Afro-Latinidad was or Afro-descendant. Afro descendiente, but now I've kind of like actually in the last few weeks have just kind of been like, do I still identify or want to be called Afro Latina because it still it still diminishes the the level of blackness that there there exists. I would just be like, I'm a black Latina <laughs> because there are people that say they're Afro des- descendant, but it's still giving this narrative of like black Latinos or Latinx people that are lighter skinned that have more manageable hair per se type three, three, two, whatever (laughs) type two or three hair. And I'm here with four C kinky hair black and people are blacker than me, but we're not even seen in the Afro Latino movement publicly or like in mainstream or in Netflix. Right. Or on, I don't know. (laughs) I'm probably going on and on, but the point of the matter is that, there are representatives and there are people like, and even even so, when it comes to Latinx mainstream music, males and men would have more advantage over women, period. So when I think about Afro-Latinos and music right now, they're men, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if any. And if you think about Urbano music, there's only one guy right now that finally, like, I'm so I'm shocked that he has limelight this big and he doesn't fit the mold of an Urbano artist that is out there right now. He's black as hell and he's from Panama and that's beautiful, but there's still not enough visibility. You can't have just one. We need to show the youth that there's, that everybody is represented 
I don't know if that all made sense, but I'm going on a rant. <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm so glad there are people like you, Bambona, out there who are doing the work. So when you do all of this work, I am sure there has to be focus, some kind of focus on self-love. And being yourself, when you described self-love, you said that your journey is described as decolonizing self-love. In your opinion, what does decolonizing self-love look like? Well, definitely it's a work in progress, girl. So <laughs> I'm like, that's a big term. Um, and it's a work in progress because I, I definitely suffer from mental health issues and it's up and down every single day, especially during quarantine right now. But I'm super proud of myself. But when it comes to self-love, decolonizing what that even means it's like what that means shouldn't fit societal structures so we should be able to take breaks we should be able to travel because we want we want to fucking travel yeah <laughs> you should be able to take days off we should be able to be by ourselves and not hang out with friends we should be able to go hang out with friends we should be able to love whoever we want or we not like and it's like in different ways of tearing down these structures that haven't served us already right because we're used to being on the go all the time. If I'm not making anything, if I'm not working right now, I'm useless. I'm worthless. I'm not relevant anymore. And that's not true. And it's kind of like dismantling these false, these falsehoods that we've been ingrained in our, that that's been ingrained in our minds since we were young, especially when it comes to Latinx, PLC, et cetera, communities. It's like you grow up thinking like, oh, I have to make it. I have to get a job. I have to work. I have to go to school. There's always the next step. What's the next step? What's the next process? It has to go this way. I have to get married. I have to have kids. I have to. And it's exhausting. It is exhausting. Even saying it. <laughs> it is exhausting. So mm -hmm. Mona, what's next for you? Next for me during quarantine, I have really put a lot more into perspective when it comes to my career and what steps I want to take next. I definitely, the next steps are making my own music. And I've been saying this for a minute now, but I have to like put the pedal to the metal, let go of fears, release these fears and just do it. But that's definitely my next step. Um, 2021, which I'm guessing will hopefully be able to, to play at venues again and, and tour. I definitely want to have my own tour and I, and I want to do a tour of, Black Latinx people, artists, DJs with me. But I don't want to give away too much, but it's so many ideas that are floating in my head that I have to like get on paper, get them starting to organize and plan because definitely during phase three of quarantine, currently now when we're, we're going into our third month, it's the first time ever that I'm actually thinking about the future. But when it started, I was I was living in every present moment. And I'm just like, fuck the future. The world is ending. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> um, but now I'm like, I can't just waste it away. I need to be able to think outside the box. What can I do while being home? What can I do for myself taking advantage of this time to re-energize, um, replenish, rejuvenate? So I can go out there and kill it, you know, and not even kill it meaning for me but for us for everybody like i love it's it. a lot of work and a lot of burden too right we but i feel like oh my god it's so many things i want to change you know and hearing the news and seeing my timelines and 
crying and being upset every day because someone got shot, another black man is dead, or like something, a white woman is calling the cops again. Like, oh, it's a lot, you know? So I'm like, how can I serve? Because I know I can't do it all. And I know that I, I am enough and I'm doing enough as I can. And I'm living, I'm breathing. So I have to, if I'm going to continue living and breathing and I'm still here and I'm still alive, then I better do something about it. I better have my impact in some way. So that's that's how I feel right now, I guess. And you're doing so much. And I'm so grateful for people like you who are out there and who are talking about this stuff and who are doing so much. And in the end, if you were to describe America, how would you do that? Oof. <laughs> oh man america i wish we could i wish we could have molded you into something better i don't even know i don't even know what like i i'm at a loss of words it's it there's privilege even being able to say how you feel about america living here and being born from here i would never understand being an immigrant, I would never understand being undocumented. Um, and I take that as a privilege too. And I take that living in a big major city as a privilege. But I definitely, when I think of America, oof, I, I just kind of like, if you could see me now, I'm just shaking my head looking down. <clears throat> that's like, that's, I don't have words. We can do better. I think I would put it as that. Exactly. That's that's a beautiful comment. We can absolutely do better. And Bembona, where can people find you? What's your IG? And I've been following you. I've been stalking you. I love <laughs> your videos. I love everything that you're doing. So where can other people find you? Yes, thank you. I'm, I'm so happy for your support. And um, you can feel free to find me on Instagram, SoundCloud, Facebook, but I don't use it anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, oh, Twitch. Twitch is more important during quarantine because I will be live streaming a lot. Um, and I have live stream sets up as well that are video. Um, and you can find me under all of those, any social media, you can find me under Bembona um, or at DJ Bembona. And yeah, keep up with me, follow me, send me a message. Let's rant, let's debate, whatever. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was amazing. And I think we should meet up once the quarantine is over. You don't Please. live that far. I go to Brooklyn very often and we need to have um, a cup of coffee and we need to chat about this thing in person as well. Yes, please. And definitely let's continue to build, you know, let's let's definitely speak outside of this, see how we can like support one another. And I got you, girl, like keep doing this work. <laughs> Thank you. So this is the first time we had DJ on our podcast. Let us know what you think. I'm sure you guys loved the episode. By the way, guys, we need your help. If you want to check information about our Patreon and GoFundMe, you can go to our website, immigrantlypod.com. Any donation will help. Donation as low as $5. This is what will keep us going create good content in fact great content that we are creating and we will also be posting information about dj bimbona if you want to get in touch with her until next week when we have another great story please stay safe and stay distant